0: Hey, good morning, y'all. Good morning. morning. I've still got the uh, bluegrass thing going on a little bit this week, so I'm still... (laughs) A few of you are shaking your head to me in disgust, but uh, I will ignore those negative head shakes towards my direction, Pastor Marcy, and... uh, and Oh, oh, did I just call you
1: out? Oh, that's too bad.
0: Uh, Anyways... Hey, good morning. Hey, we're going to be in 1 Peter this morning. We are, uh, are going to continue. And I feel like I'm really loud right now. And our sound guy has been busy visiting with people, which is what we just asked him to do. And I'm super impressed that you actually came out of the booth, Ken, and were hanging out with us down here. Because a lot of people, when they get up in the booth, it's... It's like going to the zoo. We just like walk by and we look and observe and then we just move on. Right? I'm not calling... Michael, I'm not calling... Well, maybe we're the zoo and you guys are the ones observing. I don't know. Right? I signed up for a reason. Okay, there you go. There you go. I just turned you No hiding in the bathroom on the, the greeting time. Because, um, I'm, yeah, anyways. Hey, so yeah. So if, if you need a Bible, we're going to be opening our Bibles this morning. So it's always good to have it. Um, sometimes the app... I use my app at home, it's just not the same, I don't know, it's just not the same pushing a button. So actually having the word of God in your hand is really good, so we're going to be there. <laughs> First Peter and second Peter is the story of hope, um, and that's so, so we've been talking about hope. What is hope? Who needs it? We all need it. Hope is the fact that we're taking our eyes off of what we see that's in front of us, and we look towards what's in the future. And in Christ, we have hope, right? All right. Well, who does Peter write this book to? He's writing this book to Christians who are scattered all over uh, the Mideast. And how were they scattered? Why were they scattered? Well, they are scattered because of persecution. And so what does persecution look like in the early church? Well, first of all, when Jesus showed up, um, the Jewish established leaders didn't like him at all. But if you're watching the chosen, they do a really good job um, at showing that. And so it was the uh Jewish people themselves that persecuted Christians at the beginning, but then Rome stepped in. Because here's the deal with Christians, right? The Bible says to worship God and worship God only. It's the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Um and Christians were like, okay, that's what we're gonna do. Rome, Rome did not care if you worship other idols or other gods or whatever, as long as you acknowledge and worship their gods. But if you didn't acknowledge Rome's gods, they weren't happy. In fact, Rome, if you look at the ancient writings, Rome considered Christianity an illegal and depraved religion. That's pretty serious words. If you ever study some of the, quote, little g gods that uh, Rome worshipped, talking about depraved, they were disgusting, some of the stuff that they did, even child sacrifice. Um, it's brutal. So Christianity was uh, going to be stamped out by the, Ro- by the Romans. And in doing so, they actually helped spread Christianity because Christians scattered. They ran. They, they said, we, we, we can't be in this. And so they, they scattered throughout the different cities in the, in the East, And all these little churches started popping up because they brought Jesus with them. And so that's what was going on. That's who Peter's writing this letter to. It really was a breath of fresh air. You can imagine if you're out um, away from family, away from friends, away from what you know, to receive a letter from somebody that you do know um, to encourage you. Now, Peter, we'll see. It's it's an encouraging letter, but it's also a challenging letter as well. Some of you have been reading through it, I heard, and I I encourage it. But it's a challenging letter. But we need to be challenged. So I, what I, we're going to talk about a few of the highlights this morning. I'm going to use a few pronouns. I'm going to use us, them, whoever. Because I believe that what happens is when, when Peter wrote this letter to them, he was also writing this letter to us today. I feel like sometimes we're pretty scattered, even though those of us that live in the United States, we feel kind of settled a little bit, maybe, but I feel lately we've, been feeling a little unsettled, a little scattered even. So this letter is written to us. Peter's letter is a a breath of fresh air. It's a reminder of who their God is. It's a reminder what God has done to his son, Jesus. (laughs) It's a reminder that they have not been left alone, that God remembers them, that, that he sent his Holy Spirit to empower them, that God is faithful. He starts off in the first chapter by saying that they are chosen, that they are set apart. And again, it's not just written to a group of Christians way back then, but it's written to us today, that we are chosen by him. So some of the highlights. First of all, they did receive a letter. How many of you like to receive a letter in the mail? I mean, not just I'm not talking about junk mail. I used, to have, I used to have a mailbox. For 28 years, I had a mailbox. Now I have a post office box. It's interesting because I always forget to go get my mail. So when I go, you open that little box, it's about this big, and it is just (laughs) jam-packed. I don't know, She probably, every time she puts stuff in the number nine, I think my name comes up because, go, come and get your mail. (laughs) And then you get there and you just sort through junk mail, junk mail, junk mail. But then once in a while, oh, cute little card, handwritten card. Yeah, don't have a day like that. <laughs> my um, my granddaughter, Natalie, I, we popped in, and uh, she handed me three cards that she made, hand cards, and they're in, they, they didn't mail them to us. They just, uh, they were saving stamps, but they were like, hey, um, this is for you, Grandpa. Well, I'm Wampa with a W at that house. And, uh, and so... It was just handwritten, and there was, you open it up, and it's like hand colored, mainly stickers. Natalie loves stickers. And she's learning to write her name at four years old. So it's the cutest thing. You know, you got the backward N. I think she even threw a Q in there at one point. Um, but it's super cute. And there's something special, right? When you get something handwritten to you. And that's what's happening here uh, to them, but also to us. That this letter is written, written to us. Because it's a reminder who our God is. It's a reminder that we're not forgotten. It's a reminder that um, we're to be encouraged as we walk this uh, walk this side of heaven. Walking this side of heaven, even lately, can be really discouraging. In fact, most Christians I talk to are extremely discouraged, and sometimes including myself, I've been challenged in that recently. And we we have a hope and we have a future in Him. Doesn't matter what's happening. Doesn't matter. I, I went to somebody's house this week. I haven't watched the news in probably three or four months, honestly. Um, I haven't even listened to it on the radio. I see it once in a while as I as I scroll, and um, they happen to have a certain station on that's constant news. And sat there for about an hour and a half. And It was just like I had to go. I just had. To, I couldn't hardly stand it anymore. Um, just just what was being driven towards our direction, right? And so not that that stuff's not, I mean, stuff's happening in our world right now, but there's just, sometimes there's a spirit behind it to bring fear, to bring doubt, to bring confusion, to bring reliance. Like, you have to tune in to us so you find out what is happening on the second, right? But to have a hope and a future, it's not dependent on what is happening here. It's depending on what Jesus has already done for us. It's really important to remember. So this letter is written for that. We have been chosen, we've been set apart to do great things, not for ourselves. Like sometimes we feel like we've been chosen, been set apart to accomplish what we want to accomplish. No, it's to accomplish what he wants to accomplish through us. Again, Jesus' model prayer was, God, your will be done down here as it is in heaven. So God, you do what you're going to do through us. It's a reminder that we have a Father who knows us. Peter starts off by, by talking about our Father in Heaven and what He's done for us. And this says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That we actually have a Father in Heaven, a Dad who cares for us. Who knows intimately about us. Who's close by us. Who sees us, who has plans for us. What is happening in our lives right now is making us who he wants us to be. I want to say that again. We're reminded in the, even just the first few verses that what is happening in our lives right now is making us who he wants to be. And Peter calls us to obedience and he reminds us to follow Jesus. He reminds us that the followers of Jesus have an abundance of grace and an abundance of peace. so I would just say this this morning, if we're walking through this side of heaven um, and we're lacking grace and we're lacking peace in our lives, to ask yourself that personal question, so how am I doing with Jesus? Where am I at with him? Because Peter says that we're going to have an abundance of grace. We're going to have an abundance of peace when we walk with him. He says that our inheritance Is eternal, that nothing on this side of heaven can destroy it. Rust, moth. It's thief proof. Nothing can destroy it. Remind me someday to tell you about me riding a rusty bike in Hawaii. Okay? (laughs) Heather laughs because she knows exactly what happened. I think I've only told a couple people. The title of that story is Idiot in Paradise. (laughs) Okay? You guys want to know it now? (laughs) Yeah. So Second day in Hawaii, um, the hotel that we were recommended to stay at, which was very good. Thank you, Adam and Melissa, for recommending that hotel. Uh, they went there for their honeymoon, so we went there as well. And uh, they had these beach you know, the beach bikes, the kind of low seat, kind of funky handlebars, super rusty. And so, you know, we're riding down, and it's kind of weird because they're they set super low, and so your knees are coming way up, even for a stature, a guy like me, right? So, um, riding this bike, and then I get this idea, like, I wonder if I can do a wheelie on this thing. Oh, no. oh, yes. <laughs> my sister is uncontrollably laughing in the back. Um, and so, yeah, so I do a couple pulls, you know, like, hey, it's kind of coming up a little bit. <clears throat> I should have stopped there. In my wisdom, I should have stopped there. But I didn't, and so um, Heather's like just barely in front of me here. I'm right here. I'm trying to pull a wheelie on this thing. There's a group of people, probably from me in the sound booth, just sitting there talking. We're in this nice, beautiful beach area with this six-foot sidewalk, and I pull up the wheelie, and that bike just—it really pulls up, and I'm <laughs> on the ground. Um, yeah, I'm really fortunate that uh, I didn't have to visit any local establishments that have a big blue H, blue and white, you know. Um, but yeah, it hurt for a couple days. Um, that's my story of Idiot in Paradise, because what happens here on this side of heaven, sometimes weird stuff happens. Sometimes it happens to us. Sometimes it happens because of us. That case, it was happening because of us. It had nothing to do with rusty, rusty, rusty old bike. It was probably rusty old brain is what, what it was. But this side of heaven, yeah, things rust, things are destroyed, things are stolen, but our inheritance in Christ is eternal, and that's what Peter is saying here. And this is just the first five verses in Peter. There's a hundred, I counted, I actually counted, there's actually a hundred more verses in 1 Peter that we're going to jump through in the next, I don't know, I'm not going to tell you a date because I haven't figured it out yet. But it's a good reminder that nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing that we do this side of heaven will ever separate us from God's love because he loves us. That's what the word of God says. I want you to turn, I know we're going to be in 1 Peter, but I want you to turn over to Romans chapter 8 this morning. I'm sure many of you are familiar with this passage. But it's good to be reminded of what God's word has to say to us, and there's There's times where I'll just pluck a verse here or there, but lately I haven't been doing that because it's just important to grab the concept and the context of what's happening in these verses. So I'm just going to read you the whole chunk, verse 31 through 39, Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say in response to these things? Now he's saying that to start off but because he's talking about our present suffering. And the things that we're going through, either physically, mentally, things that are happening to us. Again, persecution is happening even in in, uh, the book of Romans. So he says, so what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? It's kind of a cool thing to think about. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who rose or is raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Capture that, church. That Jesus right now is at the right hand of God and he intercedes for us. He prays for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, famine, nakedness or danger, or, or even the sword? For as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, and neither angels or demons, neither the present or the future, or any powers, Neither height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from Him. Not even when you do knuckleheaded things like pulling a wheelie in Kauai. Nothing can separate us from Him. I will say, are there consequences to the decisions that we make? Absolutely. My knee was swollen for like a week. And it hurt. But I I kept saying, I'm not going to let this ruin. So we went on multiple hikes. We did all kinds of things. We boogie boarded. It was awesome. But yeah, there's consequences when you do stuff, right? But it doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. Again, this is just crazy because this is the first five verses. So go ahead and turn back to Peter. First Peter, chapter 1. You know, we will face... We will face difficult things this side of heaven. And again, sometimes, sometimes it's things that happen to us. Sometimes it's things that we make happen. But just being this side of heaven is broken. This side of heaven is rusty. This side of heaven doesn't always work. I think many of us, we could probably spend the next 20 minutes doing popcorn testimonies of, of some of the struggles that we face sometimes I get to the point where I focus so much on my struggles that I lose sight of what God is doing around me and what God wants to do through me. And I would say if we sat in a circle and we all kind of went around the room and shared our struggles and threw them in the middle, that we'd all be quick to jump back in the middle and grab our struggle back when we hear about what else is going on in people's lives. Because there's struggle this side of heaven, for sure. But that's why he writes this letter to us. We can testify about God's goodness it's important to remember that our Father is with us. So verse six and seven in first Peter chapter one. In all this, we greatly rejoice. Okay. I'm going to stop there and you guys always laugh at me when I do that, but so what are we greatly rejoicing in? We're greatly rejoicing in what we just talked about for the last like 10 minutes that he is with us, that we have a hope and a future, that we're saved, that we have an inheritance, that God rescued us, that he's given us new life. So we greatly rejoice, though now, a little, for a little while, we may have a heart, we ha, may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though is refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So in all of this, he says, rejoice, and we just went through that. And he says, though, though, now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds. Now, specifically for them back then, what kind of trials were they going through? Some of it was they were experiencing loss—loss loss of life. Christians were being killed just because of the fact that they believed in Jesus. They lost employment because of their faith. They are separated from family and friends. They lost their freedom. Many of them were put in jail. So what does trial and suffering and grief produce for those of us that follow Jesus? Well, he says it right here, it produces genuine faith. So think about that. So the things that we are suffering through, the things that we grieve, the things that We consider a trial. What are they, what are they producing in us? It says in the word right here in Peter, it's producing genuine faith. I don't know if you've ever witnessed that. If you've ever seen or watched somebody walk through some of the most difficult things inside of heaven. And you see their genuine faith come through. What does it look like? Well, the Bible says that in the midst of the hardest things, um, that we can have a peace that surpasses all understanding that. There's no way a person going through that should have peace, but they do because God is with them. There's no way that someone can walk through something like that and have even joy, but it does happen. One of my favorite books in the Bible... And one of the hardest books in the Bible is the book right before First Peter, and that's the book of James. It's the boot camp of Christianity, because James just goes right after it. He doesn't wait. He basically says, hi, and it says, consider it your joy when you face trial. That's how he starts off his book. So I want to read that passage to you. Um, we were reading it in our home the other night and having a hard time getting through it because it's an emotional passage. Because you know Heather and I have both been through trials. We both have walked through some pretty difficult things. What the world would say is one of the hardest things ever walked through is to watch your spouse um, pass away. And yet we can both say that we have peace. We can both say there was joy in the midst of it. I'm not saying that I was running around singing and and happy, but there was an inner joy like. I know where she's going. There's inner joy for Heather that I know where he's going. And there's a peace that you can't even describe it unless you've walked there and been there. But it's because God loves us so much that he will give us that peace. And James has that same idea that what we're going through this side of heaven is is producing in us uh, incredible things. It is producing, like Peter says, genuine faith. But James says it produces a maturity in us. It produces a completeness in us so we won't lack anything inside of heaven. That's pretty impressive to me because I know there's times where I feel like I'm lacking. But in Christ, I'm not lacking anything. I have everything I need. So James chapter 1, verse 2, it's a, it's a long passage. I am going to To get through it, I have the Kleenex box sitting on the front row just in case. Many of you are saying to yourself, Why don't you just bring it up on stage? So I'm going to do that. I'll just grab one. Okay. Consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, Hmm. since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and, and withers the plants, its blossoms fall, and its beauty is destroyed, in the same way the rich will fade away, even while they go about their business." Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because they have stood the test. That person receives a crown of life, and the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. And this is a favorite verse in our household. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth to the word of truth that we might be the kind of first fruits of all he created. So we have joy in the midst of trial, which, again, sometimes it's hard to get our minds around, but we can have joy in the midst of trial. Perseverance produces for us and in us maturity and completeness. We can have wisdom. If we're trying to figure out, how. Oh, what am I supposed to do? We can ask. But we're supposed to ask believing and knowing that he hears us. Does he always answer yes? No. doesn't always answer yes. But I believe that God always answers. Sometimes it is a no. Sometimes he says, my plans are bigger than your plans, Kevin. Joy is indescribable, the Bible says. Now when you think of trials, and you think of somebody in the Bible, yes, Jesus had trials, I'm not going to ask you about that, but if I asked you, besides Jesus in the Bible, who would you consider what probably some of the biggest trials? And many of you would say Job. So Job is considered the oldest book in the Bible, if you didn't know that. Um, as far as being written. In sequence, it's kind of where it's at. But Job was considered an amazing man. In fact, this is what was said about him, if you read Job chapter 1, that he was the greatest man among all the people of the East. The Bible says that he was blameless and upright, that he feared God and he shunned evil, that he was a family man. He had a wife, he had 10 kids, 7 boys and 3 girls. And Job had tons of stuff. I mean, lots of stuff. I mean, this is what he had. I don't know who counted. They're all even numbers for some reason. Um, I think they're rounding up or down. But 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 1,000 oxen, and 500 donkeys. And he had a lot of workers that took care of those things for him. And you think, man, Job, you had it made. You had everything that the world has to offer you. Successful, big, family, all the stuff that you ever needed. You had the workers that helped do it for you, right? And then Job had a really bad day. I don't know if you know this, but if you, when you read Job chapter 1, I mean, Job is a long book. And just chapter 1, is, it describes probably the, one of the worst days. A human being could face. Because messenger after messenger after messenger on the same day, while the, while the other messenger was there, the first messenger shows up. Hey, Joe, just want you to know that, um, you you know, your land is so big, but we were invaded and all your oxen were just stolen. So you have no more oxen to plow your fields. And while that messenger was there, another messenger came. Hey, um, you know, somehow this fire came down from heaven and it killed all the sheep, 7,000 sheep. And then while that messenger's there, another messenger came and said, um, you know, all your camels were just stolen, 3,000 camels. You know, as it'd be like for us, like if someone came and said, hey, your 401k is gone. You know, by the way, your house, um, there's no equity in it anymore. It's, you know, you're basically you're, you're broke. And so at least Job is like, well, at least I have my family, right? Because I think a lot of us could say, well, as long as I have my family, I'll be okay. And then the next messenger comes and says, hey, your kids were having a party at their house. And some weird wind showed up and the house collapsed and they're gone. Can you imagine that? All happening within minutes. And Job's response is this. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. And he fell to the ground in worship. That's crazy to me. But he fell to the ground in worship. And he said, Naked I have come from my mother's womb into this world. And naked I will depart. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. That is an upright man. That's a man who gets it. Yeah, sometimes the sight of heaven um, is really difficult, but God is still God. Now, Job's an interesting read, because right after that, um, he gets really sick. You know, your body has five million hair follicles. Okay, For some of us, um, we're getting less and less hair follicles. Um, but the average body, I'm not looking at anybody in in, in particular, um, but, uh, (laughs) Job gets infected with these boils. I've had a bad pimple before, but boils are extremely painful. I mean, one boil is bad. Imagine having boils all over your whole body. And so Job goes out and he just sets and his three buddies show up. We don't know how long it takes. It doesn't, the Bible doesn't say how long Job suffered. He suffered long enough for 40-something for chapters. for his buddies just sit there and talk to him. And by the time you get to Job 15, his friends are really accusing him, Hey, you must have done something really bad. You need to get right with God. And Job was like, Hey, I haven't done anything. And Job's response to some of his friends' conversations was, though he slay me, yet my hope will be in him. So even if God takes my life, Job says, I will still hope in him. Job's faith was absolutely genuine. And Peter tells us that our faith needs to be genuine. Our faith is more precious than gold more valuable than gold. And he's telling us that our faith, like gold, needs to be refined. And so I did some research about gold. Processed gold, there's four kinds of processed gold. There's 10% gold, or 10 karat gold, not 10%, 10 karat gold, there's 14 karat gold, most popular. Um, there's 18 karat gold, and there's 24 karat gold. So here's the percentages. So 10% gold isn't 100% gold. There's only 41 points, I have it here somewhere, 41.7% gold in 10% gold. So some of the cheaper jewelry I have in gold ring, some of the cheaper stuff is 10% gold because it won't wear out, right? 14 karat gold is pretty standard across. That's what most people have, 58.3. If you're getting a little spendy, you can do 18-karat uh, gold, um, which is 75%. But very, very few people have 24-karat gold, which is almost pure gold, 99.9, whatever it is. And so I was reading this, these processes of how do they how do they take 10-karat 10, 10 gold and how do they make it 14-karat gold? And then how do they take 14-karat gold and make it 18-karat gold? And then how do they take... 18 karat gold, that's 75%. 75% is pretty good. How do you take that and make it pure gold? You gotta heat it up. You gotta take something that is solid that you can put your hands on and you gotta get it so hot where you can't even touch it and let it melt. And then the master jeweler comes in after that and then they carefully off the topic, it's called dross. It's just all the stuff that's not pure. And they just scrape that off the top and throw it in a bucket. That's how God works in us. I believe that's how God works in us. Sometimes He has to heat us up to draw all that stuff off and all that stuff to come out because we won't let it come out otherwise. Most of us, you know, I'll just be real. Most of us, I'm good with 10 karat, it's gold. But it's only 41%. 41%. And then most of us will settle. Okay, I've gone through some melting. I'm good. My melting days are over. I'll stick at 14, which is still only 58%. And so we settle. We settle. We try to almost push back. Instead of allowing God to do what he wants to do to make us complete, not lacking anything, as James says. I want to encourage us to, whatever you're at, maybe you are ten percent. I keep saying ten percent. Ten carat. Well your gold, that's awesome. But don't settle there. Don't settle there. Push on. Look look to be fourteen. And if you're at fourteen, then push to be eighteen carat. I'm not asking for us to pray for trials. Because you guys all know that they're coming. They're gonna come because you live this side of heaven but it's how we respond to those trials. It's who do we press into. It's who do we go to uh, during those trials. Peter tells us that our faith is more valuable than even gold. He tells us that our lives are to bring praise and to bring glory and honor to him. He tells us that it's our faith That is important. It's not what we have. God is interested in our faith. And actually people around us, if you really, I mean, yeah, there's some people that are interested in what we have. Like on this, like how much do I have in my, I don't even have my wallet. Okay. You know, what kind of car do I drive? What kind of house do I live in? You know, people, some people are looking at that stuff, but people really want to know, so who is this? Who are you really when you take all this stuff away? So as we wrap up this morning, the question is, where are you? How's the refining process going in you? Maybe you're finding it a little bit difficult. Yeah. Refining is difficult. When you take something that's solid and it is literally like melted and you can't even grasp onto it. That's why we need one another. That's why we need fellowship because some of us walk in this morning we're doing great. Life could even be better. But then there's some of us that walk in here like life it is the worst I've ever experienced. I heard. Maybe maybe again, maybe it's a physical thing. Maybe it's an emotional thing. Maybe it's a financial thing, whatever it might be. But we walk in here with difficulties. And we need to be reminded, just like we sang this morning, that we do walk in blessing with him. That God's favor does shine. His face shines upon us. That his favor is with us. I want to give us perspective this morning because, for those of us that know God, that know and been walking with Him, we know how the story ends. And so sometimes we get so tunnel vision on, this really stinks right now. We forget to lift our heads and we're like, oh yeah, I remember. This is just only for a moment. This is only going to be. This is only for a moment because eternity is right there in front of you. So let's have hope because we know how the story ends. What do people see when they see us? So I get challenged when I read the word because do, do people see genuine faith when they look at my life? And that's a question we can all ask. Do people see genuine faith when they look at us? I'm not asking to see people see perfection. No, that's not what Jesus is even asking for. But genuine faith. Do people see that in us? Our lives are to bring praise and glory to Him, so where are we at with that? Are we living for our kingdom or are we living for His kingdom? So I'm going to invite you to stand this morning. We're just going to pray it out this morning. So God, I thank you that you meet us where we're at. I thank you. Your word says that nothing can separate us from you. I also thank you that you say that in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our trials that we can have joy. So Lord, I pray that joy over us this morning, Jesus. That whatever's going on, God, that there'd be a joy that is unspeakable. That there'd be a peace that is abundant. That there'd be a grace that is, that doesn't even make sense. Because we're yours. And that you're with us. Well, I pray for those who are physically struggling this morning. Whatever's going on, God. God, that you bring healing. That you bring comfort. You bring answers. And God, for those who might be struggling with just things that are going on in our own minds. Hanging on from things in the past. We're worried about our tomorrow. God, help us to focus on you today, to live with you and to walk with you today. God, I thank you for forgiving us in those places where we have willfully just done our own thing. Thank you that it is your heart to walk with us. It is your heart to, to call us by name because you have plans and purposes for us. Well, we pray that you be speaking to us today. This week, your mind is what your word has to say in the book of James and in Peter and in Romans. God, that you be speaking to our hearts, that we would know you, that we walk close to you. Help us to make good decisions this week as we do that. Help us to bless others as we go out and about doing what we do. In Jesus' name. The church said, Amen. Amen. Hey, honor uh, the women in your life today. Uh, Bless them. And then uh, next week we'll be back. First Peter chapter two, one still. <laughs> All right, I almost said two. Nope, not there yet. <laughs>